This is G220 Radio. Tonight, episode number 493, we're going to be continuing the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith with chapter 4 of the Civil Magistrate. We are glad to have you with us here tonight on G220 Radio. Looking forward to this episode tonight. We are going to have a short chapter of the 1689. It's only three paragraphs here, and they're fairly short, but nonetheless, much, much to cover here on G220 Radio. Uh, but before we do that, let's have a little bit of uh, kind of how's everything going dialogue. Mike, what's going on with you, man? Doing pretty good. Trying to recover from my trip. I know you went on a trip. And just trying to get everything back in order, including the children. Yeah. Yeah, we had a trip too, man. And and um, on our trip, we stopped off at Gettysburg. This is the first time I've ever been to Gettysburg. Our plan was, because we were coming back on Sunday, we went to church in the morning, and then was coming back, we were just going to stop off and see a few sites and then get keep going on the road, you know, because it's a long drive. Um, but we ended up staying in Gettysburg a little longer than we initially thought. And so when you're walking around, I used muscles that I have not used in many, many years because I felt it when I went back to work. And the last two days, I'm like, man, I got muscles in my thighs. I never knew uh, they existed you know, after the military days. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> it wasn't that bad. We walked around um, the Omaha Zoo, mm -hmm. which is, according to one website, the eighth largest zoo in North in the United States and has a reputation of it it's a very good zoo if you're ever in omaha i highly recommend paying the 26 dollars per person price tag to mm. go see it um but our biggest challenge was it took us an hour and a half because they were short staffed in their kitchen to get us our food wow. so that was kind of the damper on i don't know kind of our trip Otherwise, it was good. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Glad you guys had a good time. Uh, I know we had a a good time. Every, so much that you want to do on a vacation when you get away and try to come, like put everything in there that you're trying to accomplish in the short amount of time that you have. And it always goes by super quick. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know this is, it's always been like this. Mike, you've been in the military. You know, you get those long three-day weekends and mm -hmm. then they're like over and it's right back to work. Yeah. Um, it yeah. doesn't change when it gets older. It just actually seems like the time goes even faster. Yeah. 50 day deployments in paradise. And next thing you know, you're going home. You just never know where the time went. Wait, that was my, I'm sorry. Yeah. Arnie doesn't have that experience. Yeah. That's the, that's the, the benefit of being someone that is a, you know, former air force uh, veteran because uh, yeah. your deployments and your field activity was in a nice hotel or <laughs> so to speak, um, a very nice yeah. place to go on deployments while we were in the field keeping everybody safe but nonetheless let's digress hey. we we do love the our, our brothers who are air force and navy um despite what they do and don't do uh but we still love them <laughs> yeah speaking of uh getting into the, the civil, civil magistrates magistrate. yes and and the importance of that and so this this as we said last week um, thank you, Larry. He said, nice hat. You like that one, don't you? Um, so the confession is laid out specifically on purpose, you know, starting with scripture and then going to God 
and Christ. And it's laid out like that intentionally. They were trying to lay it out specifically. And we, we talked about vows and oaths last week. We're talking about um, the civil magistrate tonight. And next week, it's it's dealing with marriage. So all these kind of going together in an, in an order that is, again, intentional uh, as they were laying it out. Now, we're going to get into this because this is important, oh, especially over, I don't know, say the last year and a half, maybe even a little longer. Maybe it's, it seemed like, I, I don't know. When, when are the, all this stuff started going with COVID and, and so much was going on, you have the government putting down some mandates and some people even putting it up on their store saying it's a law that you have to wear a mask or, you know, even though they weren't laws necessarily, but mandates that were put out. And then you started to have churches being told they could not, not reopen, or if they did reopen in some places, some states, uh, that they were not allowed to sing out loud. Um, they had to social distance or they had to you know, do certain requirements, basically. And then lately, a lot of churches now are saying, no, we're not going to do that stuff anymore. We're going to fight. We're going to stay open. Um, a lot of that stuff brings up a lot of conversation on Romans 13. And what does the Bible say about subjection to the governing authorities. Well, our 1689 Confession of Faith, as is the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Savoy Confession of Faith, they do speak about this. This is, again, one of the, the benefits, I believe, and Mike, you can attest to this, uh, that I believe of a confession being detailed so that you actually can go and say, what do these particular Baptists believe about the civil magistrate? Because it's laid out here. Or the Westminster or civil. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to think, you know, even if you disagree with the confession and where they lead, it gives a talking point. It gives you a chance to reflect and to think about the text on hand. And even, you know, when we consider this is 1689, um, you know, this is before the Revolutionary War. It was before their thinking, like, and even in our context, how we think about this. You have people like John MacArthur, who thinks it was wrong um, for Ameri the colonies to kind of revolt against the king. Whether you agree with him or not, you have to consider these positions, and this really gets down into on how do we think about those who are over us within the context of our local state and national governments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I think it's very important and we're going to talk about some things. We're going to, as I said, the Westminster has a chapter on this. So does the Savoy. And so does what we are dealing with here as particular Baptist, the 1689 uh, second London Baptist confession of faith. And you're going to see some differences, and we're going to talk about those differences when we get there, because I do think it's important. And the fact that there's only three paragraphs three paragraphs in this chapter allows us, I think, a little bit more time to kind of go into some of that. But as we get into this, again, it's very important that we understand that God's Word speaks about sub submitting to the authorities over you. Now, we also see examples where Peter and John say to the religious leaders and the, the rulers of that day that were telling them no longer to speak of Christ in his name, that they could not do that, but speak of what they know. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more too, because uh, even Paul uh, does these things. He continues to proclaim the gospel to these authorities, even when the authorities are trying to shut him down. But I think we'll see some stuff as we, again, get moving in this. All right, so I've got these. I'm going to pull these up on the screen. Uh, let me bring this one over here. So we got the 1689 here. Chapter 24 of the Civil Magistrate. We're going to be dealing here with paragraph number one. God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him, over the people, for his own glory and the public good. And to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for defense and encouragement of them that do good and for the punishment of evildoers. 
And it gives you, as a reference, proof texting here of Romans 1, or 13, 1 through 4. Now, as we were talking about, this is when you look at Romans 13, this has been a very, very talked about passage over the last couple of years, uh, dealing with all that's been going on. Some people applying it properly, some people applying it wrongly, some people trying to have balance here in how they operate during this quote-unquote pandemic. Especially in the beginning, people were trying to really figure out what's going on, and then as time went on and like science and the information didn't kind of add up with what was being said, then people wanted to stand up more and take, take more of a stand against the government's mandates and, and, and such. But as we see here in this paragraph one, God is the supreme Lord and King of all the world, right? He's the King. We even did a show. I don't, I don't remember what episode it was, but it was something, and I don't even remember the exact title, but we did a show that God is the one who put President Trump in power, just as God is the one who put Joe Biden in power, just as God is the one who put Obama in power before him and Bush and then Clinton's. God put these people in power. God has allowed the Taliban right now to take power in Afghanistan because God is the one who sets up these rulers. And sometimes I think we don't necessarily see the big picture. It's not that God is endorsing somebody like Joe Biden and saying, hey, these are good things. This is why I'm putting this man in power. But he uses these men that he puts in power to bring about the purposes that sometimes we don't see right here in the here and now, but years later we see maybe what God was doing in that. Yeah. And I think it's important to think about, you know, the structure it's God. And then, you know, as you said, described and he described in these lofty terms, He's Supreme King, Lord, and King over all the earth. And so immediately when we start thinking about the government, we should think about God, who he is. This is what they're going to base it off of. And this may be even a little pushback against kind of Roman Catholicism and its collapse of the civil and religious aspects in it. I mean, still to this day, the Pope is not only the presides over the entire Catholic faith, big C Catholic faith, but he's also the King of Vatican city and it's proper ruler. He is both. Um, Charlemagne or Charles the great has a similar experience with it but when we we when we start to think about it and what the reformers thought about this too is that god is above it all he is the king of kings and the lord of lords um we should immediately think about israel's sin to try to put in a king that is similar to the nations mm-hmm rejecting God as their king. Now, I don't think it's wrong for, I didn't think, I don't think it's wrong for Israel to have a king. It's already made provisions in the law for a king, but it's how they wanted a king. They wanted a king like the nations that would go out and fight their battles for him, rejecting what God has been doing for them this entire time. God is the one who led the conquest into um, Canaan. He was the one who would defeat the um, Philistines with plagues after they steal the Ark of the Covenant. God has been leading them and defending them. And I think we need to... That's where we need to start when we start to think about this and this is what the confession does. God. And who is this God? Well, he's Supreme Lord and King of all over all the worlds. Yeah. And this now also positions the civil magistrates under him in a place of subjection. He's over, in our case, the president, governors, 
mayors, mm -hmm. councils, legislators, and we need to think through that and how that now will play out in our lives. Yeah. And, and as we see it here, he is the one that ordains these civil magistrates to be under him and, and over the people. Now, it says it is for his own glory. This is a, a kind of a, a joke, but it ultimately is true. Um, years ago, when I was in a Sunday school class, sometimes people would ask questions. And my response was always, it wasn't a Reformed church, but my response was always, well, it's for the glory of God. Because all things are for his glory, right? Mm -hmm. And so here it's telling you in the confession that he puts these, ordains these civil magistrates to be under him and over the people for his own glory. That's first and foremost. It's for his glory and the public good. So it's for our mm -hmm. good. And to this end, hath armed them with the power of the sword. Now, this is when we get into, we talked about oaths last week and um, um, uh, taking an oath and... Uh, together vows vows yeah sorry i couldn't couldn't think of it couldn't spit it out but vows and oaths and so um to carry out the power of the sword so when somebody commits a crime they go before a judge and if these are good rulers these are good governors good kings good presidents they will execute with the power of the sword rightly right so it's for defense and encouragement to them that do good. So it's to, for it's for encouragement for us and a defense of us, those who are living a godly life, living a life of peace, trying to go about our business, to proclaiming Christ and living for the Lord, um, that we're not, you know, um, becoming victims of uh, crimes of murder, theft, you know, and other things. And so the, these civil magistrates, these rulers, are there to do good for the public to defend the public, and they have the power of the sword to carry that out. And ultimately, that power of the sword, then carrying it out for those evildoers is the punishment that they receive. Yeah, and we should look at it both. You've kind of alluded to it, but to make it explicit, it's not only in our communities and like law enforcement and dealing with criminals, but also to protect us from evil nations who are trying to subdue us yeah to take us and to fend and there is this so the idea and i think we should consider that truly what these people are are for them to use the power of the sword to promote righteousness and to protect those who are in in one sense righteous not in righteous before god but kind of righteous within law they're not criminals they're doing what they are to be doing um within that the realm of the civil magistrates and i mean we can look at this and see and i think we should that's how we should judge even the administrations the presidential administrations, we should look and think, did Trump use his power in a way to provide defense for us, to encourage people to do good and to punish the evildoers? And that should be the same standard, whether it's a Republican Trump or a Democratic Biden or Democrat Biden on it. And how we think about these legacies we shouldn't just go well trump's a republican therefore he's good he was better for the nation he was this and that and whatever and no doubt he provided we can say good things and he did things badly too but that's what we see here is how we should really think about not only how we vote and their platforms in our case but evaluate after a term is done did they do what God has given them the power to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to read here Romans uh, 13, 1 through 4, uh, where it says, because again, they're, they're, they're proof texting this from the Scripture, but we, we see this as what the Scriptures are telling us to do. So the confession is just laying this out here of what these Scriptures are already 
uh, I'm telling us when it comes to the submission to authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur, incur judgment. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Uh, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you are doing wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, again, we speak of this because you may have unbelieving magistrates, unbelieving governors, unbelieving judges. However... Mm -hmm. It's still for the good of the people when they are carrying out that justice rightly. So if you have some serial killer who's, you know, been captured and these judges, these magistrates or these governors, they don't give them a pardon. They, they, they push for the, the, the right. Um, they get a trial. They push for them to, to stand that trial and then execute that judgment upon them. That is given, right? Those are good judges. Whereas if one is doing evil, then you're going to have bad outcomes with that. But regardless of whether the, the individual is a believer or an unbeliever, they are still God's ministers, so to speak, not ministers of the gospel, but to carry out these civil uh, magistrates to take the uh, for the good of the people or for the punishment of evildoers. Basically what I'm trying to spit out and I'm just kind of stumbling over my words here. Yeah. And that should, and unlike the Baptists writing this, we have control over that as the people. And I think, you know, considering when we consider their civil magistrates in our democratic republic, they represent us, but we can also vote them out of a job. Right. And we can, I think, you know, when we think about who to vote for when it comes to presidential elections, these are things we should consider. Would they be able to uphold these ideas? these concepts and even more so in paragraph two. Well, before we these... get to, yeah, before we get to paragraph two, let me just show this um, comparison chart uh, just to show you that in the, the first here, and hopefully you can see that well, um, <clears throat> the Westminster confession of faith here is first and then the Savoy and then the, the London Baptist at the end. And it's similar. Everything here is similar except for maybe a few words that they're using like the, uh -huh and are or do everything is the same in this chapter uh, we're all completely in agreement and um i just wanted to show this comparison as we're moving on because it's going to play a part later uh and just showing that we we have um unity in this area and then you're going to see where we're, we're going to kind of go off away from the uh, westminster and savoy a little bit later yeah and so Again, this, how we, we do kind of have to adapt this to our political situation. We're not in a monarchy. We're not in, you know, have this kind of um, parliament setting either. Um, so I think these allow us more, in one sense, it's harder because how do you value these in, in one sense? Um, but it gives us the freedom. If we don't like our politicians, we vote them out for ones that we do like. And I know, Ricky, you got into discussions with other podcasts about whether a Christian should or should not vote for Trump. Not to rehash all of that. Those are the types of freedoms. And it's now here, chapter paragraph one and then paragraph two when we get to it that should be leading our thinking about what makes a good president and then 
who should we vote for for that president out of the candidates that we have set before us? Yeah. And and one of the things, too, that's very important that we understand as the confessions, whether it's 1689 Westminster Savoy are putting this in here. We got to understand that God is over all areas of life. And a lot of times, I mean, we're seeing it now. We're definitely seeing it now where there's a lot of political kind of um, stuff coming from the pulpits in many churches today. Whereas before, there there didn't seem to be that, and, and I have a reason, I believe, for that. Um, but what they're telling us here is, this is an area of life that's not, well, it's spiritual and then it's the world over here. No, God is governing over all of that. And so we speak against those things that are unjust. We speak against those rulers that are unjust. And in, in America, in our context, we, as you said, we vote them out of office, right? We, we have that ability and that freedom here to do that. But they didn't, the, our brothers and sisters who were putting these confessions together in the 17th century there, they were not opposed to speaking political, quote-unquote. Now, what I'm going to say here may offend some dispensationalists, but actually, up until the 1900s, there was talk of, quote-unquote, what was political from the pulpits, from the preachers, right? Now, around the 1900s or so, early 1900s, it kind of stopped. And I do believe uh, dispensationalism has played a part in that, because if you're if you're waiting, if you're if you're saying we don't need to get involved in politics, we don't need to get involved in the worldly things because we're going to be taken out of here before you know when the rapture comes, then there's no emphasis to step in there. But this confession is showing us that this is an area that we can, and as we get into chapter two or paragraph two here. We see them lay that out because also you mentioned Roman Catholicism. This is also addressing the Anabaptist of the day or who even we have sex of today, which we've seen many of them when we was in Pennsylvania, the Mennonites and the Amish that are all come from that Anabaptist. Right. So it is a lawful this chapter paragraph two. It is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto in the management whereof as they ought especially to maintain justice and peace according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom or commonwealth so that the end or so so for that end they may lawfully now under the new testament wage war upon just and necessary occasions and mike we started off the show joking about being in the air force and the army right uh-huh. where those Anabaptists would say, we don't want, you, you don't have any part in getting into that. You don't have any part in getting into any political sphere. You're not running for mayor. You're not running for a governor. You're not, you, you have no part in that. The Anabaptists were completely, no, just like, just like when it came to the oaths and vows, they're like, no, we don't get into the civil matter. We don't get into any of that. But it even tells us here that these are lawful under the New Testament, even to go to war, if it's a just war, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think to to think about it, and as you mentioned, we live, we're both physical and spiritual. And God is supreme king and supreme lord and king of all in both the physical and the spiritual. And I think the reformers rightly saw that while God is head, of both the church and politics and the political sphere, they're not mutually exclusive. Um, in that, you know, in in dealing with it, where the Catholicism like smashed them together, so the king, I mean, the Pope is the head of would rule the kings under who are Catholic. Charlemagne did the bidding of the Pope. We see in the story of Luther, um, Prince Charles is there because the Pope wants him to be there in dealing with um, Martin Luther. And so there is a sense in which the Anab- 
Baptist position is a pendulum swing to the opposite side of that. Yeah. We're not part of it, but it's denying the reality that we are together and that government in and of itself is not bad. And the, the confessions already said it, that God has ordained the civil magistrate. Does God ordain bad? I mean, how do I phrase this? Does God give us bad things or is it part of the corruption of, of us humans? I would think, and I'm not the only one that government is the natural outcome when you have groups of people. Um, we see the workout in the church that you have someone who you have a board of elders who presides over a church as someone who has authority and God's doing that here as a, as a grace to everyone to bring mm -hmm. people under leadership. And so for Christians to now be part of it, isn't is it wrong? God has given this for our flourishing so that we can grow as humans to do what he has called us to do to subdue the earth. And so we should consider how we can be involved in this way. If that is what you want to do and what you're called to do. And I think the confession just shows that you know, citing second Samuel 23, three, David is a believer in a, in power. He trusts in the Lord. He's not sinning and being King. He, in fact, he was the best King they've ever had until his Lord came and rescued us from it all. So just, just to, Think about, you know, God has given us government and it is good. It's corrupted by sin because it's run by sinful people. But the idea of government in of itself is not sinful. <clears throat> and so we shouldn't reject what God has given to us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, <clears throat> again, as I said, there, there, there is a definite showing here within the 1689 in the Westminster and Savoy as well to show that this is an it's it's acceptable it's good to get into these spheres of influence if that is what you're called <clears throat> excuse me it called to get into you know not everybody's called to be a politician not everybody's called to be a police officer not everybody's called to go into the military but it's not something that you should look at as a pacifist or as somebody who says we're not going to do this at all because we don't see it to be just. Um, I don't think the scriptures teach that. And I mean, you, you, you see that God has given these things. And matter of fact, the, the whole founding of the nation of, of that we live in today, the, uh, of America, the United States of America was very, really founded upon biblical principles. You have the government, you have the different branches to, to kind of checks and balances, you know, so that's it's not a monarchy where they, they just take complete rule and authority over everything. Kind of like what you talk about with Roman Catholicism and, and, and uh, being in Rome, you know? <clears throat> so the, we see these things are necessary. Now there's another thing here uh, with the comparison that here's where we see the first difference. <clears throat> Man, my throat. Struggling yeah. tonight. So this is where we see the first difference here. Let me try to pull this up just a little bit more. Um, where, you know, managing and management, that's not a big deal. It's just its just a word difference here. Uh, but it says here, the laws of the kingdom and commonwealth, the 1689 adds the kingdom. All right. Um, these aren't these aren't big things. But where we do see a, a difference here is piety. The Westminster uses piety. The 1689 and Savoy do not. Okay. So as you read this in the Westminster, it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of magistrate when called thereunto in managing whereof as they ought, especially to maintain piety. 
where with Baptist, we've seen the abuses of the church when they seek to control the morality in every aspect of people's lives. So the 1689, they're, they're saying, well, let's not, let's not give the, the, the governors, we're not going to say that the governors have this role when it comes to piety or, or to, um, have the, to, to govern the morality of, of every single aspect of an individual's life. Now, some things, murder, theft, these things, absolutely. Right. But there is things that happen morally that the church deals with individuals that are, that are in them, not the government. So this is why the 1689 does not put piety in there. Yeah. And you can kind of see, you know, the defining moments of what is a Baptist. It's part of the free church. The state, does it influence us and what we believe, which for the Congregationalist, in some sense, the Puritans were kind of pushing against that a little bit. Because when you think about the history of the church in England, the Church of England starts, it's pretty much Catholic outside of just denying the Pope is not the head of the church. Um, the king is the head of the church. And you see that England bounces back and forth between Catholic and Anglican based on who's in power. Well, what king or queen is in power at the time? You see the abuses of the Catholic Church with it. I mean, and here the Baptists, I mean, we call it the 1689, but it's been written nearly a decade at this point, but they couldn't release it because they could have gotten in trouble. Their lives could have been online. And so you, the idea of the free church, which is, I mean, the Baptist non-denominational is part of this kind of whatever, kind of whatever looks like a Baptist church for the most part is streaming from this, this, uh, from these people they were saying and looking at that the church doesn't control the piety or the state doesn't control the piety. That's the church's job. Yeah. And I think there's, you see, and again, that's a political kind of distinction. Mm -hmm. I think it's right. Uh, I'm a Baptist. I guess I should think it's right, <laughs> but, um, but the church, the state doesn't control the religion shouldn't have control of the religion, which should really make us think about these kind of exemptions like the 501c3 and what it puts on the church about what they can and cannot say. Is that truly, is the church truly free? Right. And not to open a can of worms, but this is a discussion that is being had probably more so now, maybe not on gospel coalition or T for G, but through some others, because what happens when the state starts saying, well, no, you can't preach against homosexuality. What are they going to do? Especially when churches have taken out, have used government grants, which the 501 C three allows to build the buildings that they have. Yeah. Um, I think so there is this, in that sense, the piety or here, the, the state would be pushing on the church in piety, but I mean, you have that connection and again, something to think about as Christians in America and what does it mean to be a truly free church like the Amish? 
or to be kind of suppressing our freedom with the 501c3. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a discussion um, that we could probably explore at uh, an, another time down the road. Uh, because I know there are ministries that said, no, we're not going to do 501c3. We're already covered under the Constitution. Uh-huh. We don't need that. Um, but uh, let's see what Larry put up here. I can't get over here. Larry says, the exemptions haven't hindered the preaching at all in the churches. I know have them. Yeah, there there are still many churches yeah. that still continue to preach it. But what I think Mike's getting at is that when they are giving away these grants and these monies uh, to help people build, they pretty much down the road can say, well, you have to abide by us or we're taking these things back. We're taking this, this buildings and these, you know, we're going to take these and have somewhat of their hand in it in control. Doesn't mean some of these 501c3 churches will give into that. They may still continue to push, but that's again, something that why, why did we get to that point where we allowed the the state to put their hand into the church? Right. And that's yeah. what the 1689 Baptist or these, these particular Baptists, 1640, uh, was 46 and then, um, 49, no 46 is the, yeah, 46. Yeah. I think it was the yeah. 1646. I'm, I'm getting confused with the, the, it's the 1644. I think for the uh, uh, Westminster. Either way, correct me. Somebody can correct me wherever I'm wrong. But um, the the Baptists were seeing that then, because remember when the reformers came out and they're being persecuted by the Catholic Church, but then you had persecution that was happening to the Anabaptists, and now these particular Baptists who are not Anabaptists, they're not associated with the Anabaptists. Their experience in persecution as well. It's it's very there's very political in this time, right? So um, because not only was the one in charge, uh, pretty much was in charge of the state religion at the time. So it would go back and forth between you know Anglican or uh, Catholicism, you know Church of England. It just go back and forth, right? Um, with ever who was in power, and so it's very political, uh, which leads us into. Paragraph three, which the confession has a paragraph three here in 1689, but it does not match paragraph three of the Westminster and the Savoy. Another another important point. They completely wipe this out of their confession, the 1689, because this is what the confession says of the Westminster. The civil magistrate may not assume to himself the administration of the word and sacraments. That's great because they have no business preaching the word or the sacraments or the power of the keys to the kingdom of heaven, okay? Yet, and this is why they they want, they, they completely just removed this whole p- paragraph from the confession. Yet he hath authority, and it is his duty to take order that unity and peace be preserved in the church, that the truth of God be kept pure and entire, that all blasphemers and heresies be suppressed, all corruption uh, and abuses in worship and discipline prevented or reformed and all the or- ordinances of God duly settled, administered and observed for the better affecting whereof he hath power to call synods and be present at them and to provide that whatever wh- that whatsoever is uh, trying to read it with this line through it transacted in them be according to the mind of God. So they're saying he has no power in it to for the administration of the word, the sacraments, or the power of the keys of the kingdom, but basically giving this magistrate the authority in the church to do these things that the church should be the ones in control of. And we see this. We see it with um, Constantine, who people, a lot of speculation whether or not he was truly a believer or not a believer. We will leave that for here nor there at this point. But he convenes this Council of Nicaea, and he comes and sits in and as a part of it, right? So the, the the Baptists are saying no, the magistrate does not have the the authority or the or the, the ability to do this. This is for the church. He can't call these councils, he can't come and sit and re- reside over them. This is the church, God's ministers. Yeah, and I think that's important to think about again. The Westminster is written in a time in which they're in power. And 
they have the um can't think of his name he's in power he's convened this to do it i think it's also interesting that the american version doesn't yeah, they, they say all of yeah. that they've changed it to fit the american context mm -hmm. and giving freedom um to worship without being hindered and the only thing i don't it. Yeah, the only thing I don't know is, and I'd have to do a little more research, is if if the American version came after the 1689 was out, like as a response because of they were in the our you know um, society. I'd have to look that up, but but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, finish your thought. And I think that's you know important. Obviously, it is kind of ironic that. Um, I think, you know, there's an agreement, even within Baptist, you know, of the Americanized version. So here, the Presbyterians are becoming more Baptist. Mm -hmm. And it, but I do think, again, you, you see the, how even culture is somewhat dictating what this how they are saying it and thinking about it and to consider these things i don't i mean obviously as you mentioned we see this in church history that when rome becomes a quote-unquote christian nation or at least recognize christianity with constantine as a valid religion the emperors of Rome, for the most part, try to keep the church at peace. You have different synods as heresies are coming up or councils. And then when Rome is, as an empire is destroyed, well, now the Pope takes that power as being both head of the church and of the state. Um, functionally and even at times in actual. And so you do have this, they're not like a, removed from tradition. But I think you see with the Reformation and then approves all the more that the Baptists are furthering reforming some of these ideas about politics that they're coming to these different conclusions and would then say, you know, this entire paragraph three isn't biblical and we're not going to put it in. We're going to kind of strike that we think that's wrong, which is something they've been fighting against. So they're convictionally removing this because they're against this. They didn't have authority to preach. That's why John Bunyan kept getting arrested and thrown in jail. He was a Baptist preacher. And again, that their culture is shaping what they are writing about. Or in this case, with the Bap with the 1689, what they're gonna not include while they've taken very similar language nearly identical for most of it now i'm looking this up here because larry i left this up here for a little while has a, has a great point he says it would have to come after america was formed in 1776 but i was looking this up because while america was formed in 1776 obviously there were there were uh puritans and pilgrims and whatnot that came over here way before that you know i know right right now with hebrew israelites and whatnot they they, they have the 1619 and all this stuff. So there were people coming over here to America and establishing churches and whatnot. But I've looked something up, and I'll have to do a little more research. But this is American Revisions to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it says, The Confession of Faith of the Westminster Assembly was approved by the General Assembly of Churches in Scotland on August 27, 1647. Uh, and together with a larger order, let's see here. Um, Sorry, it says it has served as one of the doctrinal standards subordinate to the word of God for Presbyterian churches since that time. 
as an American Presbyterian church, the OPC descended from the Presbyterian Church USA and inherited revisions to the confession made prior to 1900, some of which were ratified by the Synod of New York and Philadelphia as early as 1788. So, hey, Larry may be on to it right there, you know. Um, says the OPC did not adopt the revisions of the confession made by the PCUSA in 1903. So it, it could have. But again, what we're seeing here, as you said, Mike, they're taking more of the Baptist approach here when it comes to this paragraph. Yeah, and again, you know, 1788, you're only 12 years after um, the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. Um you know, kind of in a time of necessary peace because you don't have the war, um, the war of 1812 until 1812. So, um, but again, the revision is based off of what they've come to the conviction of in America and how the American government is to be set up. Now, that's mainly American because the states had their own church. Like Virginia did have recognized the Anglicans as the official church of Virginia, but there was no national church as instituted. So it would be interesting. I don't know my American history enough of if this comes after the constitution. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting uh, history wanting to check that up. Um, But it is very interesting that, Again, even obviously we understand when we had the first episodes of the 1689, a lot of things that did come out, it was politically motivated because of what the Baptists were facing against from or from the the Church of Rome and these these other the Anglican Church. So you've got this kind of persecution that they've experienced, they've faced, they're being thrown in with the Anabaptists. And so politically they're trying to say, no, we're not the Anabaptists. That's not us, you know? Um, And so there is a lot of that at play here. Now, when we get to this final uh, paragraph, because again, three, three paragraphs here that we're dealing with uh, four, if you take talk or think of what we just kind of experienced or went through with the, the Westminster part of it, and we're we're down to like 10 minutes left in the program. So that's how much is here in this confession. Uh, it's great. So paragraph number three of chapter 24 of the civil magistrate. Civil magistrates being set up by God for the ends aforesaid, subjection in all lawful things commanded by them ought to be yielded by us in the Lord, not only for wrath, but for the conscience sake. We ought to make supplication and prayers for kings, and all that are in authority, that under them we may live quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So uh, the difference here is you see um, there is some difference uh, with the way that it's, it's worded here. But one of the things that I think is important to grasp and understand is that we know that God is the one who puts these these individuals in power and we know the scriptures teach us as the confession states here and the the proof text uh, point to we are to make prayers and supplications for all for kings and all that are in authority we need to pray for our rulers regardless of whether or not they are christian now the one thing that i was going to bring up and i know this may not be um received well by some people uh there's a lot that I've saw seen over the last year when it comes to our governor here in Ohio and even with um, the president of the United States right now, where there's a lot of, I'm trying to think how I can say this. I, I know it's going to offend people, but name calling a lot of, of things that don't appear to be very godly in the response to them as people placed in authority by God, right? We see it with Paul. Like, I, I don't, I can't think of an example. Somebody, anybody can correct me if they, if they think I'm wrong here, because I'm not, I'm not being dogmatic about this, but I just can't think of something in scripture where when they, when anyone was before a civil magistrate, that they responded in a way with, in an ungracious or godlike manner to them. Now, Paul, 
there is that example of Paul in Acts 23 where, uh, let's see, he says, Paul said, uh, or wait, 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 wait. Oh, when, when he struck in the mouth, in verse 2, then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you with whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck? And those stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? So Paul didn't know this was the high priest. And when he's confronted with that, Paul responds and said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Right? And so my point in this is when we're dealing with evil rulers, even when they are coming against us, I'm not saying we don't speak out against their policies and things that they're doing that we don't agree with, but I think we have to be careful that we are still gracious in our response to them because we want them to come to know the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, you know? And, and I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you think, Mike. Yeah. I think it's important. And I mean, and well, there's a part of it, even in, you know, rhetoric, you have the ad hominem, you attack the man, you attack the person, their character, whatever. Um, it's not a good argument with it. But I do think, you know, as you're saying, that we should be gracious. We may say things about their policy. We may not, we may disagree with them and we should be open about them. But if you're, I mean, I guess it depends on if you're praying imprecatory prayers on them or not. Um, and maybe how you think about them, but we're to pray for them. We can make, make supplication for them. And our goal is that we may live a quiet and peaceful life. Again, this is coming from Romans 5 or Romans 13. And, and when you sp kind of speak in ways and, you know, I think, you know, Larry's point never, it's never okay to speak evil. When you speak in those ways, you're not speaking like Christ. You're not, there's times to speak hard words, but they're never evil words. They're not demeaning another image bearer. In fact, when you see that happen in scripture, it's never a good example. Shouldn't be something we follow. And so, yeah, we can disagree with Biden's policies or you disagree with Trump's policies. But for us to speak evil on them is not becoming of a Christian. It's not called, that's not the gospel life. Because let's just assume Biden is not a Christian um, just for this experiment. What if he becomes a Christian and you've spoken all those evil things about him? You know, you're, there's a sense in which you, you've spoken against, you have hard feelings against a Christian. And, you know, that's not who we're called. We're called to speak truth, but we're also called to speak in love. That's not just we're speaking in truth. But we're we speak in a way that brings about our love for them. And that's even when we're criticizing policies. Yeah. You know, like when you, you brought up imprecatory prayers, I'm okay with praying imprecatory prayers against God's enemies because they're enemies of God. The the, hmm. the thing is though, how do we go about doing these things? Even with like let's let's use the democratic platform. It is antichrist. So to say that their policies and their platform is antichrist is not wrong to say. 
But now if I start calling my governor a moron, I start calling my governor, governor all these names because I'm angry about his mandates or his policies, while those mandates and policies may be completely wrong, right? My desire is to pray for him because God has placed him in power. Does not mean that I have to submit to ungodly law or un ungodly uh, um, mandates and things that would cause me to violate the scripture and what God has called me to do. And this is what we see with Peter and John when they are called. And, and even when they're speaking, they're not, they're not like being hostile or calling them names. They say, you know, you be the judge, but as for me, we can only speak of what we have seen, right? Even in the way that they present that. And so, and I could be wrong. Somebody could show me in Scripture, and and, and that's fine. I, I will submit to the Scripture. I'm telling you, that's what I'll do. But I don't. I cannot recall anywhere in Scripture where, when they're speaking to the authorities, I'm not talking about the religious leaders of the Jew of the the, the Jewish sects, the the Sanhedrin or the 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 uh, or the Pharisees or the Sadducees, because Jesus speaks harshly against them. I'm talking about those governors, those people that are in that position. I can't think of a, a time where he's speaking of them harshly. You know, even yeah. well, even maybe John the Baptist, even when he's speaking against the man, uh, Herod having his brother's wife, uh-huh. right? He's calling that out. You know, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no. You know, use John the Baptist and thinking through it. He's calling out. I mean, what he's what was doing was wrong. He's calling evil what evil is. He needs a prophet, but. At the same time, he's not demeaning the ruler. He's showing respect and calling the ruler to be accountable to the law that he's supposed to be accountable. Even Jesus with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the um, the members of Sanhedrin and the lawyers, when you think about how Jesus interacts with them and calling them whitewashed tomb, well, he's warning the people of their destructive teachings i mean he does tell the people that listen to the pharisees when they speak on this seat just don't do what they do and and that's the same as you go here and you see it even in the confession it says the civil magistrates are being set up for the end um my screen keeps blinking um, for the ends of so, subjection in all lawful things commanded by them ought to be yielded by us in the Lord. We're commanded to obey them in all lawful things. I think this goes down to whether you like it or not when the government sets speed limits. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm, it's not a sin I'm you know, that I don't do, probably a lot of us, but it should be something we consider. What is lawful and what is not? And again, as you know, we say it's the word of God. And, but we also, um, but it's also for our conscience sake that you know you now play into the stronger weaker brother idea how does that play into how we understand these things but again the goal in the end is that we may live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty that's why we submit to our authorities because we don't want to be ones who are creating the divisions. We're not a people who create divisions. Now, God creates a division. When he saves some, he doesn't save others. But we shouldn't be instigating these divisions because we're the instruments in which God will use to save. And it, it just, and at times we can talk about if it's for God's glory, when the church acts in that way are we truly glorifying god in our actions and these are again things that we should be thinking about on any issue that 
we engage with politically. Yeah. All right. So that is um, our program here on chapter 24 of uh, the 1689. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, any disagreements you would like to share with us, uh, you can email us at g220radio at gmail.com. Again, um, we're open for correction. If you think we said something wrong here tonight, uh, you can correct us at g220radio at gmail.com. Uh, just put the scriptures with it uh, as to where you thought we were off. Because again, no one is saying that we are to adhere to laws or, or things that are destructive to us or cause us to sin against God. But what we are saying is we can disagree with the policies. We can disagree with mandates. We can disagree with, even if you want to throw the vaccine in there and you don't want to take the vaccine, we can do those things. But the way that we go about it should speak volumes to those that are watching us as Christians who profess it with our mouth, that we are also living out what we say we are in the actions in which how we interact with those leaders that God has appointed over us. Again, doesn't mean we have to agree with them. Doesn't mean we have to speak uh, quietly and not speak out against things that are wrong, but how we go about doing it is something we all, cause I, I know I failed in it many times. So it's something we all have to, to think about, to consider so that we are ultimately giving glory to God, because that's the reason why he puts these rulers in, in authority for his glory and for our good. And so that's G220 radio for tonight until uh, next time. I hope you, uh, can I'm looking for my video here and enjoy the program, share it, like it. Uh, let us know what you think. Again, g20radio at gmail.com. God bless.